0: may it please the listeners my name is rich schoenstein and this is law brief today we're going to tackle the issue of the opening for a chief judge for the new york state court of appeals and i'm really honored to have on with me he agreed to come on the podcast Senator Louis Sapoveda. Senator Sapoveda, it's great to have you here with us. Thank you for
1: inviting me on the show. Appreciate it.
0: My pleasure. So I'm going to lay out the issue as I see it. And the first thing I'm going to ask after I lay it out is if I mess anything up, will you please correct me? Okay. But just let me give a little bit of background for listeners who might not know that much about the New York courts. In New York State, we have three levels of courts. We have the state Supreme Court, which is actually the lowest level, the state Supreme Court. And above that, we have a group of appellate courts called the Appellate Division. And they hear all sorts of appeals as cases are proceeding and when cases are done, et cetera. And then on top, we have the highest level in New York State, the New York State Court of Appeals. And generally speaking. There are seven sitting New York State justices on the Court of Appeals. Senator, am I right so far? So far, so good. (laughs) Excellent. The seven judges on the New York Court of Appeals are selected through what's called the assisted appointment method. The governor of New York State appoints each new judge from a list of qualified nominees that are submitted by a judicial nominating commission. But the nominee has to be confirmed by the New York State Senate. It's not unlike what happens on a federal level, the Supreme Court vacancies. That's the way we do it in New York State. Judges in New York State on the Court of Appeals will serve a 14-year term. To remain on the court beyond that, they have to be renominated by the governor and reconfirmed by the Senate. They can retire at the end of the year where they turn 70 and They can usually serve until they turn 76 years old, as long as they're certified competent every two years. Am I still doing okay, Senator?
1: So far, so good. Okay. Now,
0: right now, we have on the Court of Appeals in New York State six judges, all of whom were nominated by Democratic governors, five of whom were nominated by Governor Cuomo, and one of whom was nominated by Governor Hochul, and that leaves a vacancy, and the vacancy right now happens to be for the chief judge of the Court of Appeals. So the governor nominated Judge Hector LaSalle, who is the head of the appellate division in Brooklyn, and that was uh, derailed last week by a vote of the Senate Judiciary Committee. So let me start right there, Senator. Can you tell us what happened last week with respect to the nomination of Judge LaSalle? And I mean, first, as a procedural matter, what does it mean? And then, bigger picture, what do you really think it means?
1: Well, procedurally, what happens is that when you have a nominee to the Court of Appeals, it usually goes through a committee, judiciary committee for the New York State Senate. And over the years, it's almost been pro forma. In fact, it wasn't until the nomination of this particular candidate where you first time for the first time in in history, since we changed the system. And I believe it was in 1978 from an electoral system to a nomination system by the uh, governor. Previously, remember, they were it was an election to hold for the chief judge. So in order to remove the politics from that, they changed the system to what we have today. Ultimately, there is a panel put together by the governor, the leader and the speaker and the chief judge. And from that group, they determine who's going to be the seven candidates that come out, and their names would be offered to the governor as viable, acceptable candidates for the chief judge position of the Court of Appeals. We went through that process. At the end of the process, the committee held that the most qualified, the most qualified would be Judge Hector LaSalle. This is a very difficult process to go through. You're vetted. Your court decisions are vetted, your affiliations, everything in your life is vetted. And then ultimately, the committee has a hearing, as we had a couple of days ago, and they determine uh, whether the nominee is acceptable and whether it's going to be the issue now that we're facing. Is the committee, the Judiciary Committee for the Senate, just their function is to advise the Senate. Or does the nominee have to go to the entire uh, Senate for a vote? And that's where we are right now. But the committee. But
0: before, I'm sorry if I may interrupt. The, the committee voted 10 9 against Judge LaSalle. Is that correct?
1: Correct. The prior committee, the committee, again, for reasons not clear to me, the numbers were expanded right before the hearing. They expanded it to 19 from 15. I believe that the prior composition of the committee, as it stood, Judge LaSalle would have been, his nomination would have gone through the full floor. But there was a change in the numbers. Never again in the history of the judiciary has that happened. But suddenly it happened in a way that to this day I cannot understand.
0: And let me start with this. I've been following this not as closely as you, but there is no question that Judge LaSalle is qualified for this job. He is head of one of the appellate divisions right now. He's been a judge for a long time. So nobody is in dispute about his qualifications. Am I right about that? No, I mean,
1: absolutely not. In fact, if you speak to the greater, the greatest of legal minds that this state has produced that have been chief judges or judges in the past of the Court of Appeals, unanimously have all said that this nominee deserves to be approved, his nomination should be approved. Judge Lipman, you know, one of the cries that started this problem is that they're alleging that Judge uh, LaSalle is too conservative, which is a claim that I don't understand because I've read his decisions and there's nothing conservative about them. But when Judge Lipman, basically one of the liberal lions of the Court of Appeals for New York State, when he indicated that this candidate is more than qualified, Judge Lipman is recognized as the most progressive liberal chief judge the state has ever had. And you have other Great legal minds that have spoken and all said this man deserves to be the chief judge.
0: And is there, given the vote of the committee last week, is there a path forward to making that happen? Does he still have a chance of becoming the chief judge? It's a very complicated,
1: difficult question, Rich, because I sit with some of these very members that are opposed to the nomination, and I vehemently disagree with their decision. Those that were on the committee, and I vehemently disagree with what's happened to Judge LaSalle. But if we're going to speak pure numbers, considering that all the Republicans have said that they would vote for this nominee, you would need 11 Democrats. And uh, I know we have, I think, four who have openly declared their support for the judge. So I think you probably need a between six or seven state senators to change their mind or if they are still in favor and have not been as part of the Judiciary Committee and have not voiced. Their position either way, you need about anywhere between five and seven, I believe, to convince in order to have them pass the full floor vote. And that, of course, is you know, that's up to the governor what methods she will use to convince people. And it's up to those individuals who, you know, I believe that if you do a literal reading of his opinions and you read this man's history, everyone that I've spoken to in terms of his administrative abilities, because remember that a big part of being a chief judge is their administration capacities and availabilities. For the courts, and there's no doubt that Judge LaSalle is a number one. I mean, he runs the busiest appellate division, the second department, in the entire state of New York, and he does it in a way that other attorneys and other administrating judges have told me that this gentleman is a role model for all of us. So he has the ability to minister the courts. And if you look at these decisions, you know, the first thing that they came across was that he's against choice. Well, he spoke, in his very first discussion at the hearing was that he is pro a woman deciding what to do with her body. So that dispelled any notion on the on the uh, one of the cases that they're trying to use the Evergreen case, which by the way was not a an abortion case; it was a First Amendment case. And I mentioned to my colleagues on the floor, if uh, a Republican had been the Attorney General in that case, asking for the donor list of Planned Parenthood, I think my colleagues who were trying to use this against Judge LaSalle, mistakenly, of course, I think would have a, a very different opinion about that case. But because it was Schneiderman seeking. Information from a conservative group that was against abortion, and I'm against those groups. I consider myself a progressive, but in this case, I think that my progressive brethren uh, made a major mistake here and miscalculated this judge. You know, and the other issue is going to be how is this going to play with Latino politics in New York State? And I think that's something that hasn't been discussed thoroughly. I have uh, met with people who I stand on their shoulders and leaders and organizers and business people in the Latino community, Who are extremely upset about this. And this is gonna make it more difficult for me to recruit Latinos uh, to the Democratic Party. It's gonna create a
0: major schism. I was gonna ask you specifically about that because this, he would be the first ever Latino Chief Justice of the Court of Appeals for the state of New York, correct?
1: He would be the first person of color to lead the courts in New York State, the first person of color. And in 38 years, Of course, I know that recently, since the 70s, I've been nominated, but in 38 nominations, you have never seen, let me me clarify that, 38 nominees for chief judge. Recently, since the 70s, they are nominated. But before that, and even after, you've never seen the level of acrimony and character assassination of a member of the bench. Look, Last year, there were members of the Court of Appeals who went through, who had no record, no record to discuss. Judge LaSalle had 5,000 opinions. In fact, I can't remember the last nominee who had that kind of level of volume of opinions. And to cherry pick cases the way they did was terrible. And I've never seen that before. And it just so happens with the first person of color, the first Latino, where you see the level of acrimony that you're seeing now. And let me correct something also. A lot of the uh, my progressive brethren are saying that he's unacceptable because he's a DA or because he received cross endorsement of other parties in Long Island, for example. Well, if this were the measure, then Sonia Sotomayor, who's probably the most liberal member of the Supreme Court right now, was a former prosecutor. If this were the case, then 42% of Obama's nominees to the court were former prosecutors. So it just doesn't make any sense that, you know, we're going to have these measuring sticks now for who's acceptable. Look, Judge Lippman, again, the liberal lion of chief judges, he was cross-endorsed by multiple parties. On multiple occasions, in fact, most judges outside of New York City and even some some within receive cross endorsements of all parties, which rather than looking at that the way one of my colleagues said that they would never accept a member of the Conservative Party, rather than looking at a a cross endorsement at some sort of litmus test about a judge's political philosophy, and, and we shouldn't be looking at that the way we have here, but we should consider that something positive. That a judge has gone out there and has been supported by multiple parties, multiple ideologies, to be a judge in their district, in their county, wherever they're located. But that's something that we should look at as something positive, rather than the way they try to paint it as a he's some sort of evil Dark Vader conservative for accepting cross endorsements when many judges on Long Island and upstate do that.
0: Well, it's interesting from a process standpoint. I mean, I. I always thought of this as uh, in all of these judicial appointment situations, there are elected officials who get elected and part of their job is to make appointments. And you're stuck with that if you elect them. You know, if you elect a president and then complain about the Supreme Court justices they nominate, you need to go back and look at your voting for president. And here there's a governor elected And she was not the most progressive option that the Democratic Party had to run by far, but she is who was elected and she has made a nomination of someone who we can all agree is eminently qualified. So do you worry more generally with all of this that the whole judicial nomination process in our country has gotten too politicized? Oh, I mean, that's, I mean, that was
1: the other thing I was going to mention, and thank you for reminding me, Rich, was the, the impact this is going to have on our constitution, our state constitution, the division of constitution, the division of powers, even within uh, the executive and the legislature. Everybody was up in arms when Trump was elected president, and he nominated, obviously, his very conservative picks, but that was the president's nominees. He has the right to do that as part of the United States Constitution. The governor here has the right to do the same thing to nominate, and then, depending on, on the Senate, it is her, regardless of the Senate, it is her obligation to nominate a candidate. And unless there's something within that record that goes as to his qualifications or her qualifications, then what we saw exhibited this week was a miscarriage of justice, for lack of a better term.
0: Senator, there's been some talk possibly of a lawsuit. Um, dealing with the circumstances of these proceedings, do you expect this matter to actually result in litigation itself?
1: Um, it, it's hard to say. Yeah, that depends on on really the the thought process for all parties involved. You know, if the governors of the mind that this is a direct affront to my power to run this state on my ability to run the state? Um, Will I go all the way and see what happens? There's also a potential constitutional crisis that may be involved here. So I don't know if that's the case. I don't have inside information if that's the case. But certainly, it's a very difficult position for the governor to make this decision. But I have faith in her ability to do the right thing. At least that's what she's demonstrated to me.
0: Very difficult, very difficult for her to decide how to proceed. Does she stick with her nomination? Does she back off and give a new nomination? Uh, and how does she play that out? It will be. Oh, fast- and by the
1: way, uh, and by the way, Rich, as it stands now, it would be Judge Canitaro who would remain in that position. And from what I've learned, those individuals that are vehemently opposed to Judge LaSalle are twice as much vehemently opposed to Judge Canitaro. They feel he's too conservative, he's taking the court, or will take the court to the right, whatever that means. But sometimes you have to wonder about the expression, be careful what you wish for.
0: Right. (laughs) I totally know what you mean in that regard. Uh, Well, I'm so happy you came on. Can you tell us a little bit, let's put aside this issue, tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about your goals and objectives right now as a New York State Senator. What are you focused on?
1: Well, Rich, I, I represent the poorest senatorial district in, in New York State and probably in the country. Highest unemployment rate, lowest graduation rate, everything that's health meters are terrible, everything health indicators. So my goal is always to improve the lives of the people that I represent. Here at the state level, there's several things, uh, legislation that uh, we're tackling. Uh, one of the things that's very important to me this session is to change the property tax system in New York City. I think it's long overdue, and we have the methodology and the research to get it done immediately. We're just waiting on the mayor. Also, some of the crime issues that are involved in the district that I represent. We're proposing bills to deal with these scooters that are used in crimes and are also create unhealthy and unsafe situations for people in the streets. So we're working on that, working on getting as much money as I can in the budget for my schools. So, I mean, those are some of the things that I'll be working on this session. But as you know, as you well know, Rich, that things can change in an, in, in an eye blink and I may have to pursue other things. But right now, it's uh, I think uh, modifying the property tax system in New York will create more affordable housing.
0: All right. Well, that sounds like a very ambitious program <laughs> yes. and set of priorities, very challenging. I wish you uh, tremendous luck in getting as much of that accomplished as you can. And thank you again so much for joining us today. And thank
1: you for giving me the opportunity to be on your show.
0: All right, that was great to have Senator Luis Sopova join us and explain why, in his view, the nomination of Judge Hector LaSalle should go through and should be confirmed by the New York Senate. I attempted to get somebody on this episode of Law Brief who would take the contrary view, who would um, share their opinion as to why this is not the right choice. For to lead the Court of Appeals. Uh, I wasn't successful in lining up an appropriate guest in that regard. But I want to invite and say publicly that if you would like to come on here in our next episode and take the contrary view, explain why somebody else should be appointed to lead the Court of Appeals, we are open and looking for a guest to do that. I want to give both sides in a debate like this the chance to speak and be heard. So you can get in touch with us. You can email us at lawbriefpodcast at tartakrinsky.com, or you can just call me. Just look me up. My name and number's on the internet. Give me a call. Thank you for joining us on this edition. Thank you again for listening to Law Brief. Now here's something lawyerly, A disclaimer. We are not your lawyers, we do not have an attorney-client relationship, and this podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, you should contact and engage counsel of your own choosing who can best address your own situation and particular needs. You can find more information about our law firm, me, and many of our guests at our website, www.tarterkrinsky.com. We are a mid-size, full-service firm located in New York City and New Jersey. If you want to contact us for any reason, be it comments, topic ideas, or anything else, you can email us at podcast at tartarkrinsky.com. You can also follow this podcast on iTunes, among other places, and we would very much appreciate it if you rate or review us. I'm Rich Schoenstein, and this was Law Brief.